If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. this is New Year, but we got some old problems. Welcome to RSG One Mic. This is one mic. Can we be real? I'm going to stretch the line and see. Now, if you step over the line, I'm going to say something about it. This is one mic. This is one mic, please. Happy, happy 2018. 
D, we made it through another one, man. You know, here we are, the first full week, this new year. You know, it is crispy cold here in the in the Midwest. I saw a snowman outside starting a fire. I'm telling you right now, though, if he got to get hot, we got to get hot. So we about to get it going on, man. I can't wait. You know, there's a lot going on, and it's, it's exciting. And I'm glad to hear your voice, my brother. Man, I'm glad to hear your voice. And uh, it's been fun, man. When we, you, you and I started this, this part of the podcast concept out. We didn't know where it was going to go, but we've had a lot of fun with it. Um, and we did a lot of good things in 2017. And I don't think every year we raise the ante, folks. Every year, if you've been following us, we raise it. Um, you know, we, uh, 2017 was we did some good things, and I don't know how we can keep pushing it up, but we're gonna keep trying to do it. Um, and uh, Hank and I are gonna give it to you every time we come on it. Um, you know, we're underground, as, as my man Marcus would say. It's the resistance. It's the it's the it's the it's the anti-Trumpisms. Coming out, we're trying to we try to come with whatever we're gonna come with. We're, some days we'll get crazy like the Big Bird, but we'll be okay. Uh, but we're gonna have fun with it. You know, sometimes we'll talk about uh, our president and his crazy antics as it relates to sports. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of fun. We push the buttons. We talk about serious topics. And tonight we're gonna get we're gonna get we're gonna, we're gonna get a little bit serious. You know, we gonna I don't know how serious we'll get. You know, but. There's some nerves that's been hit here in New Year. You know, we ain't even got it through 18 too tough, and it's got a little bit crazy out here in these streets. And, you know, we, we're going to try and take y'all through because there's a lot of sports stuff, but because Hank and I haven't really been on for a while, there's some things we're going to just touch on that y'all probably been talking about, but, you know, we always give it a new twist. And so that's why we're going to hit a little bit with it. So, as many of you know, you know we 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 are national. I look I look at our data. We have people listening to us in uh, uh, all over the world, other countries. I feel good about this. At least that's what the data says. And so you know, uh, I'm I'm feeling good. And so people are hearing this in other languages, uh, whatever it might be. Um, you know, so you know, y'all know that we're from the Midwest. We're from the heart of of this nation. You know, where 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 this nation turned everybody out of here. We, we Midwesterners. More specifically, Hank and I grew up in what we call big blue country, um, you know, uh, and it's getting a little hot in big blue. Now, for those of you who didn't have a chance to watch a lot of the bowl games, the Big Ten went on a run. And the team that could have put the bow on the run was a team that you thought probably had one of the, the, the best advantages in the matchups was Michigan Wolverines. And they end up in the uh, uh, in the Capital One Bowl. Uh, was it Capital One? <laughs> setting setting uh setting up Outback Bowl five. What Outback Bowl? Outback Bowl. That's right. Because the winner, the winner, the winner got the SEC got the the onion, and then the Big Ten if they won got the got the shrimp. I'm allergic to shrimp anyway. And so five, I think what a record five turnovers. The one that killed me was when they on a on a third and short trying to hand it off to a tight end who could barely he was popping passes, and so yeah, people like Armani Toomer, who raised the issues, said that when when they were looking for Jim Harbaugh to come back, they thought they were getting Nick Saban, and they thought they were getting Urban Meyer. He, 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 he paraphrased him. He said, you, you know, he doesn't really care about the Jumpman and Michael Jordan. He doesn't care about all these other things. He cares about 
winning games. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could have said, and if you heard us talk about this in the past uh, podcast, you know, I was one to say, hey, slow it up. He's got some he's got some quarterbacks there in in the in the pipeline. This is his first group of quarterbacks that he's recruited. And they're coming in. And so he had a month to prepare Peters, who we last saw him was good up until he got knocked out of the Wisconsin game. And if you looked at it, he's like, he got this he got a chance to prepare him, get this kid have a big ball game, then he's got a spring to work out and make days out of it. Kid looked scared. That's the way I can put it. Didn't look like he was ready to play. Um, had some good moments, but when it got tight, he looked tight. Um, looked gun shy. Um, and then you got some questionable calls. So it's hot in Ann Arbor. And Hank is closest to it, so he hears it. So I thought this would be a good thing for Hank as we go into 218, for Hank to weigh in on this topic, especially as we're on the eve of two SEC teams in the championship. We got Feinbaum throwing shots at Harbaugh. They can say that he probably should take the Lions' job. So, you know, it's all kinds of craziness up here that we'll get out and talk about. But I thought we can't really get into 218 without letting the mayor of RSG. You know what? For you to set me up with this brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) I mean, I'm choked up, D. I really am because – you know, it's it is it's just nothing but pure love for you to lay me up an alley oop. Not just lay up an alley oop for me, brother, but to put it on a string, hang it over the hoop, then give me a ladder to grab it and do what I need to do to it before I slam this son of a gun down. I appreciate that <laughs> so much that I got to be humble here early because I'm about to lose my mind. Okay. First of all, let's go back to the bowl game. Let's go back to the Outback Bowl, okay? And like many Michigan fans who watched that game, I was absolutely, totally disappointed in what I saw in the second half. Basically, I was disappointed in what I saw in the entire game. It was really a microcosm of the entire season. What you saw was, um, what you, what you really saw was uh, just just inconsistent uh, play on the offensive line. You saw uh, inconsistent play from your receivers. And you saw a quarterback that's truly not ready. You can say a whole lot of things, but that was it right there. Then you saw some very questionable play calling, and and as you said, were they trying to get cute because they were in a bowl game and they probably wouldn't do that in the regular season, and it backfired. Those things happen in bowl games. But the fact is, you had Michigan carrying the torch for the entire Big Ten on New Year's Day when nobody other Big Ten team was playing. And they was up big, 19-3. And for some reason, they forgot how to play defense. They forgot how to block. They forgot how to throw. They forgot how to catch. And the quarterback started throwing the ball to the other team, resulting in five turnovers in the second half and a very, very, very disappointing loss to South Carolina. Now, that's what we saw. And just like every other Michigan fan in the state, I took down all my Christmas decorations after that game. I cleaned up my house. I've shoveled the snow for mine and all of my neighbors, and I did anything else I could do to keep them watching football that day because I didn't want to hear about it no more. But that being said, we got to get back to what everybody's talking about. First of all, here's where I start losing my mind. Michigan fan out there, if you sit there at, at this time of the year 
or you sat there after the game and you started talking about this is not what we expected out of Jim Harbaugh and we need to find another coach or we ain't trying to do jump man and all that. Shut the hell up. Yeah, you heard me say it right. Shut the hell up. You don't know what you're talking about, okay? Jim Harbaugh, as the coach of Michigan, has been here 2.5 years. If you want to say three years, fine. But he only got two and a half years of recruiting, all right? That being said, I want you to go back to before he became the coach of Michigan when we were the laughing stock of college football. When all you heard about with Michigan was their players being uh, knocked out of ball games and the coach don't know what's going on because he ain't got on a headset. Before that, we just found out that we got uh, a sex offender that is our coach. He's got his side chick on the doggone sideline with his wife. Oh, that was our coach before that. All right? Get it real. Find out what's going on with Rich Rodriguez. Now, by the way, who is Brady Hope coaching for right now? All right? You got three years with, with Jim Harbaugh, and all of a sudden you're ready to get rid of him. This ain't the NFL. Okay, this is the, this is this is college football. And oh, by the way, your brand meant muck, your brand meant mud, your brand meant mediocre. That's what the M stood for. Jim Harbaugh had to first get us back on the map. It didn't even stand for map back then. Okay, this was three years ago. So you didn't want Jump Man, but you got him now. All right, guess what that does? That gets us more recruits in the house. All right. Guess what else he had to do? He had to put our name on the map. So you had to go to Rome. You had to do the satellite camps. You had to do all these things. Why? Because everybody forgot about Michigan. You know, you know, remember the old rap song, D, when they say they forgot about Dre? Well, they absolutely forgot about Michigan, okay? They weren't known by nobody. Michigan State had taken over the, 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 the Big Ten, all right? It was the Michigan State-Ohio State rivalry now. We were just somebody that they beat on the way to that big game. Now, all of a sudden, you bring Jim Harbaugh back in, and now, oh, by the way, you got us back on the map. You win 10 ball games your first two years, all right? Everybody and their mama, and their mama, and their grandmama, and their great-grandmama said Michigan was going to struggle this year. Why? Because everybody who played on the team last year is playing in the NFL. But, oh, no, Michigan fan, oh, I'm sorry. Y'all got so spoiled. You got so fired up when they played uh, a less-than-Florida team with this young defense, okay? All of a sudden, now now you're ready to take on these teams that's had these coaches for years but because you beat a, a, a undermanned Florida team. Then you go, if you pay very close attention, you can see that Wilton Spate wasn't the Wilton Spate he was last year. And let's talk about that a little bit. Why is that? That's because his passing coordinator, his coach, Jed Fish, went to UCLA. And he had to learn a whole new language with another coach, Pep Hamilton. And, oh, by the way, with this coaching staff, you got a lot of cats on there that wants to run the offense while Jim Harbaugh is trying to still build the brand. I think Jim Harbaugh got it now. I think he realized, you know what, i got to spend more time coaching my team instead of delegating my team and getting it out there. It's out there now. Not the way I would have liked it, but it's out there now. And then all of these doggone alumni, I mean, uh, alumni players, they get on my nerves too, D. You know why? Because they want to talk about Urban Meyer. They want to talk about uh, uh, Nick Saban. Like, like, like all of a sudden they just came in, threw their jaws on the floor and started winning national championships. That ain't the case at all, okay? Nick Saban, oh, by the way, y'all, y'all need to check it out. He was an also-ran coach bouncing in, in and out of the NFL before he came to Michigan State and before he really became Nick Saban at LSU. And look at his LSU record. Everybody wants to talk about what he did at Alabama after he won a national championship, D. But look at what he did before he got there, okay? His first three years before he won a national championship, Nick Saban, he was 8-4 and four at LSU, then 10-3, okay? 8-5, and 13-1. Basically, if you put that together, D, he had the same amount of wins in his first three years as Jim Harbaugh had in his first three years at Michigan, and guess what? Uh, 
Jim Harbaugh came off a of five and seventeen. People need to pay attention. Once he won this national championship, then he went to Alabama. Then he turned into the truth. All right. But let's look at some other coaches, Deke, while we're talking about it. Let's talk about other coaches. I want to talk about Urban Meyer, who falls outside of the norm. But what about Jimbo Fisher? You know Jimbo Fisher, right? Won a national championship at Florida State. All right. His first four years before winning a national championship. His first three years, ten and four, nine and four. 12-2 and two before winning a national championship. What about Dabo Sweeney? Dabo Sweeney went to the last two with Clemson, went to the last two national championship games before this year, okay, but been to the playoffs the last three years. Dabo's first three years, four years at Clemson, 4-3, and 9-5, and 6-7, and 10-4. Guess what? He's been at uh, Clemson for 10 years. They just got to the national championship game three years ago. Okay, in his seventh year, D, that means that Michigan fans losing their mind for a coach that's been here for three years. This this coach has got them there after his seventh year. According to Michigan fans, Jim Harbaugh should have been gone. That'll tell you what you need to know right now. That's why I'm saying this stuff kind of irritates the heck out of me. Shut up. You got a coach that is in his fourth year. One, two, three, four. Okay? He's, yeah, does he got some things to figure out? Yes, he does. He absolutely does. Does he need to tighten up his offense? Yeah. His strength and conditioning, yeah. He knows what's going on with his program more than anybody out here. But you got one of the better coaches in the nation. Every team in the NFL calls his name out when they lose a coach. Why? Because he knows what the hell he's doing. Just because you don't have the uh, the patience of Job does not mean that, that, that you're right, you're wrong. Give it time. Give him time to build this program. you got one of the best coaches in the nation, you know, and, 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 if you, and But if you act a fool, you can lose it. This is what I'm telling you right now. Was it a disappointing bowl season? You're absolutely right. But it was a young team. It wasn't a focused team. Uh, players did not develop as they had thought. I think Jim Harbaugh takes over on that. I think he takes that, that role over. I think he may have gotten a little bit comfortable being back at home and in basking in the glory of being back in the maize and blue. But for anybody, anybody to think, that you don't have a, a, a good coach that's going to turn it around, you are crazy. You're not a Michigan fan. If that's the way you think, as I started this segment, shut up. <laughs> well, hey, it's official. It's official, y'all. He is officially in the building. Hank is in the building. And, and Hank, I, I, you know, I think you said a lot of good things. You know, one of the things I, I struggle with my response to these things because I think one thing you preach is one thing I think a lot of people miss is this concept of patience. Um, and uh, I think that where I, where I struggle the most is the things that I think he can control. And I just expected better execution on those things he can control. I expect you on the third short to have concepts on plays that don't mean hand it off to your tight end for three yards. Um, and so what what I appreciate about him, even at Stanford, I think what's missing for me is when he was at Stanford, one of the things um, uh, I heard Stanford coach recently said that when he and Harbaugh uh, arrived there is that he said, we're going to be the bullies on the block. And if you notice from the first time they went to play USC, they went in there like, we're going to be the bullies on the block. And for some reason, I thought he would bring that bully on the block mentality to Ann Arbor, and I haven't seen that. And it's that 
that allows you to win the Michigan State game. It might not get you over the uh, Ohio State game, but it allows you to win the Michigan State game. It, it, it may get you over the Wisconsin game. And the other thing that bothered me the most about this is that you and I, you and I started out, you know, I used Wisconsin and Michigan because I think in some ways those teams were in the same place. You know, um, championship-level defenses, um, you know, really strong uh, areas across every other area of their, of their team, but had questioned that quarterback about how the quarterback position was going to deliver. And if the quarterback position delivered two or three times a game, these teams could have special seasons. And Wisconsin had that special season. So then, you know, you have you have this period between the end of the season and the bowl. And if you look at how Wisconsin's young quarterback fared in the bowl game, and he made the play, ended up becoming MVP of the bowl game, which I think in some ways is going to allow Paul Chris, because I thought I was like – Coach Chris is going to have to have a competition in the spring the way I, this season was going. But with that play, he got a quarterback with some confidence against an elite defense, basically a home field advantage for them. Challenged Miami, comes up big, and now has momentum going in the spring. And that's what I believe was going to happen with the Michigan game. And so, and, and I would thought with a victory over South Carolina, in some ways, even though you don't have the signature victories over Michigan State and uh, over Ohio State, you, you end the season on a positive note going into the spring, you know, where position looking like it's going to be some competition. Now you got this loss. So now, and then you open up at Notre Dame, <laughs> you got Nebraska with, uh, with a coach that just finished the undefeated season that we'll talk about in a minute, um, coming to Ann Arbor, which is definitely going to be a different team. You got Wisconsin coming to Ann Arbor. They're going to be a busted team, and then you got to go to East Lansing and got to and, and have to uh, go to Columbus. Like wow, back is against the wall. And the only way you get through that is you have to have a quarterback who is competitive. You you, you don't have to be Baker Mayfield through those games because you got a quarterback who is saying, we ain't losing. It ain't enough to have a defense. Because I would believe in today in college football, you got to have that quarterback who just who can get everybody else to believe. And that position, I don't see the quarterback position reflecting him. I thought, you know, and maybe that's where someone like McCaffrey or somebody comes in well. Like, I don't see a quarterback that reflects him. You know, and I think that's part of his nervousness for Peters. But you probably, you know, he, he, he's talked about him not being quiet because he he understands that you got to have somebody who's got that leadership. And so right. he's got some soul searching to do because there are things that he just has to do better that you would think he would do better. And I don't know if it's a part of coming home, understanding how important it is because of his relationship with Poe. There's a lot of factors in this that weren't there for him at Stanford or the 49ers, like beyond just coming home to his alma mater. You know, I think there's some other emotional things for him, as, as you know. I mean, this is a guy that's deeply religious, um, very much connected. Um, he's also a guy that isn't going to recruit a five-star player just for a five-star player. He's not. <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you just 
you know, blank, he's not going to bring in. So there's some things that he would do that Dabble Sweeney wouldn't think about or Saban would think about that he just ain't going to do. And so there's right. some other elements about this that, that I think are are part of it. But I think the points about Saban and his time at LSU that people just don't remember um, is, is critical, that it didn't happen overnight, <laughs> that they were about to run him out till he, he put that season together. You know that right. he was in some ways, and he wasn't even a he wasn't even a you know a son of a uh, 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 You know they was about to run him out until he turned it around. And so, um, you know, I think people don't remember that you know that Saban wasn't always Saban. Um, and in fact, he he was he was he was uh, he was uh, he was uh, uh, he was like your boy from Iowa in the Big Ten. He was six and five, seven and four, whatever that was. You know what I'm saying? Very competitive coach. And they talked about him. I was just thinking, well, this guy ain't winning no big games. Think when he was in the Big Ten, I was like, Saban ain't, you know, Saban ain't really, you know, he's like Ferens. You know what I'm saying? You know, he wasn't really, you know, he was winning games. He won some bowl games. But he wasn't impressing you, right? And what happens right. is you get resources dedicated to you in a lot of things. So I think, I think, you know, Armani Toomer is not somebody who speaks up a lot. I think, you know, when you get people like Armani speaking up, who is someone who is less likely to, to be to interfere like that? My sense of him. Um, that's what coaches got to take some stock in that. And I know he's the first one to be real critical, but part of it is I'm not sure who in his group of coaches he challenged him to say, "Coaches ain't working." And again, and you know what? And let me let me speak to that a little bit because I talked a little bit about the coaching attrition that's gone on over there, and I I believe that with with Harbaugh, there's some guys he absolutely trusts running that program. I would say he trusts his son. I think he trusts Tim Drevno. I think he trusts a lot of guys to run his program. And I believe when you look at this year, and 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 we're speculating here. I don't know. But this year, they, they, I, it looked like they were going to do a lot of training, and they thought they had a chance to win with Spate. And they see those players a lot more than we do. So they know what they're doing. They know how they're developing. But there were some things that he he's clearly wasn't pleased with. If anybody, you know, I, I, I watched the program very carefully. It wasn't lost on me that the first coach to, 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 to go after the season was over was the strength and conditioning coach. And he came out and said, that, you know, we just wasn't strong enough on that offensive line as I thought we should be. So to go back to your point, uh, D, about being the bully on the block, perhaps that's where they wanted to be, but they just weren't seeing it in practice, okay, mm. for some reason, all right? And so if that be the case, and and, and it's not lost on me, it wasn't just this year, but a little bit of last year, too, they lost ball games because they simply could not move people out the box late in ball games, Okay. So I think that was one of it. The other piece is they're looking for an, uh, a running backs coach. All right, it's not lost on me that now you got a chance to put a game a team away, and here's Karan Higdon losing the ball inside the red zone. All right, I think that he gave coaches opportunities to coach at positions because he was at home and he could do a lot of things. And I'm not going to say that a coach like Jim Harbaugh loses his edge. But I can say that a coach like Jim Harbaugh can get comfortable. And I think that he won two 10-ball games his first two years. He knew he had a young team this year. He may have gotten a little bit comfortable. 
all right? That's not, look here, there ain't nothing wrong with that. He at home, you're going to get comfortable. I think the Armani tumors, if they don't do anything else, they really help him to realize, wait a minute, I can't I can't do this. I think the eight and five really stuck in this crawl, but it's like we can't do this. We cannot come out like this. We're Michigan. And I think you're going to see a different focus from this coach. I think that you're going to see a little bit more of, okay, no more of the foolishness. I gave you guys an opportunity to run the team, and this is, you ran it to an eight and five ball game, ball, ball team, and we ain't beat nobody. So now we've got to get better. I've got to get better, and I've got to make sure that my coaching staff and this team is on the same page. And I think that uh, I think all those factors are in play this year. I think the fact that they were young, uh, and he gave guys a chance to develop these players. And let's face it, some of these coaches failed. They failed miserably, and we saw it. You, I, you know, the, the wide receivers coach, none of the wide receivers stood out all season. Your quarterback, your quarterbacks, whoever it was, nobody stepped out and, and made a difference, okay? Your offensive line, nobody stood out and made a difference. The only time you could see any sort of improvement was on your defensive side. And, my God, they cannot play 45 minutes a game. You have to do something in the second half outside of turning the ball over. So I think all those factors happen. When you look at uh, uh, Kelly over in Notre Dame, he knew he had to make some adjustments to, to turn that team around. I think Jim Harbaugh is a much better coach than he is. And so I think you're going to see an immediate turnaround with this team. Now, the schedule's going to play a big factor. They don't have a weak schedule next year. They've got some thoroughbred teams that they've got to play up and down that schedule. But I think that Michigan fans will be okay if they see a team that is now punching people in the mouth, taking putting games away at the end, and scoring touchdowns in the second quarter and not turning the ball over. Okay, so I think that's what you have to look at with this team. Um, and then then go from there. I don't think it was the record as much as it was the eyeball test with this team that really upset a lot of fans. Well, hey, you know, uh, uh, today down in uh, was it uh, Orlando area? What did they did they celebrate UCF's uh, national championship? Even though there's a big game going on tomorrow, uh, a lot of discussion. You know, you got a team that beat Auburn. Uh, I do believe that Auburn. Uh, not what you probably call the bowl hangover, but you know, I watch UCF play. That's a great team. They got a lot of energy. They got some good players down there. They beat uh, eight, te- eight teams that played in bowl games uh, this year. Um, but then you got the big boys playing on Monday night. You got Bama and you got the dogs. So there's a lot of discussion leading up to this. But how, how have you really been viewing just this whole kind of college football playoffs and? everything around it. You and I have had a chance to really talk a little bit, you know, and how do you see this this, uh, this game on Monday night unfolding um, with, you know, two coaches, and Kirby uh, Smart and Nick Saban, who spent a lot of time traveling around a lot together. Uh, now they're going to be going up and up against each other. Saban is undefeated against his former coaches, but if you look inside the numbers, he wasn't coaching against teams that were equal. I think only one time he might have uh, coached against a because obviously when they're, you know when you take in one of his top assistants he's going to a program that needed a coach because they were they didn't have anything in the cupboard and usually he's playing them in those first few years and so he's not I think this is the first time I think one other time he might have played a team where 
Uh, I think Jimbo Fisher, they said at the beginning of this year, and that team was suspect, where you had a team that had the same firepower. So this might be the first coach that's really come in with as many weapons as he's coming with. But there's been a lot of talk around this, uh, around this college football stuff. You know, Paul Feinbaugh's ears have been flapping and sweating. He's been so happy. Uh, you've had, uh, you know, people like Booker McFarland, who I love, who are sometimes misguided. Um, just a lot of stuff that nuance around it. But, you know, you can't knock. It's going to be a great game. And so I get a chance to, to, to talk to you a little bit about this, but just kind of, you know, to talk around UCF and, all you know, all the other things that have been happening around this college football championship and, and what you think might happen tomorrow. Well, you know what? Let's start with UCF, okay? I had an opportunity to see UCF play last year when they came to the big house. And you can see that Scott Frost had their team going in the right direction. Now, he, here's another guy uh, that that kind of messes up the, the, the uh, Jim Harbaugh narrative. When Scott Frost took over UCF, they were at 0-11-10. And I think they won five or six ball games last year, then they go undefeated this year. But that team was laden with talent, okay? And I'm talking about um, very uh, veteran talent. All right, so that was a, a veteran team that won those ball games this year, and you know they 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 blew the doors. They got they got a chance to get ready for a few games like South Florida and like Auburn, um, but they're a very exciting team to watch. And yeah, they're the only uh, undefeated uh, um, Division One football team, and they did beat the team that beat the two participants participants that's going to be playing tomorrow night. That being said, Auburn didn't have nothing to play for. They played hard. Scott Frost, that those guys were playing for that coach going to Nebraska. So whatever they want to do, I think it's I think it's fine. You know, you have to add. You know, they don't. They didn't play the Big Ten schedule. They didn't play the SEC schedule. Okay, they got ready for maybe three or four ball games all year. But you know what? That being said, it's a good story. It's a good feel good story, and they deserve it. Bravo. Now let's get to tomorrow. Now, what tomorrow was going to be, D, is for those of you who are too young or haven't Googled the 10-year war between Michigan and Ohio State, Bo Beckler against Woody Hayes, first and foremost, if you want to get any sort of history on what you're going to see tomorrow night, go look that up. That's what I anticipate tomorrow night. I anticipate three yards and a cloud of dust. You got two coaches you got Nick Saban and the Nick Saban disciple and Kirby Smart, a coach that Nick Saban did not want to let go and go to Georgia, okay, or go to the SEC. He knew that Kirby Smart was going to be one whale of a coach. And uh, um, you've got two amazing – you've got running back central right up in here with, with McHale and Chubb and Scarborough, and you've got uh, Jalen Hurts second run for Alabama. It's going to be – it's going to be one of those 10-year wars from years ago. That's what I anticipate tomorrow. Now, uh, this game might last, but like last year's game, I didn't think that game was going to ever end, D. That game seemed like it went on till like Wednesday afternoon with the, with the commercials and stuff. I hope they do a better job of that. But with these two offenses, I expect this game to be over in about 10 minutes. But uh, it's going to be a physical game. Um, it's going to be one that everybody is going to expect Nick Saban to just easily capture another uh, national title. I'm not going to say that because 
Georgia is 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 that team. We watched them play against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma looked like they had them dead to rights. Oklahoma went with one of the most prolific offenses uh, in in college football, and then in that second half, Georgia figured it out. Georgia figured it out. Georgia also figured out Auburn and having Auburn get on top of them as well. Um, it's all going to be the, the, the X factor in this game is the young quarterback for Georgia. If, if Alabama is able to rattle this young man, then they can, they can run away with this thing. But if he shows the poise that he showed in that game against Oklahoma, then this is going to be another one of those four-quarter games. Georgia's not afraid to run against anybody, neither is Alabama. Uh, so it's going to be a ball-controlling game. Nick Saban is always good about that trick play to kind of stir the pot a little bit. We don't know about Kirby Smart yet, but this game is played in Georgia, okay? And so Georgia is at home. They've been getting home cooking all week. They've been able to lick their wounds and stuff from that overtime thriller last week against Oklahoma. I look for a very good game. Uh, conventional wisdom says Alabama takes this, but there is something about Georgia this year that I just got a sneaky suspicion that that this might be one of those times where one of Nick Saban's disciples get him. Now you said this might be the first time that he's played anybody of this of this ilk that that uh, that's been one of his uh, ex coaches. Uh, I want to remind you, uh, gleefully remind you, that a couple of years ago he played one of his ex-coaches, which was Mark D'Antonio. They didn't score a point, but I don't need to bring that up again. But just because of where I am, I just thought I would. And, and I said, I said, had equal talent because <laughs> even that was yeah, the state defense was great. <laughs> I thought he had some good. De- he had a good defense, but that offense was something to be. Uh, 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 I don't know. Well, you, I, I would give you that. That might be close. That might be close. So he had two coaches he went up against. But I, I like I like your analogy between Bo and Woody. And in and one of the things that I I, I I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, Kirby Smart reminds me, in a sense, that he has a he has a personality type. That endures you. That endears himself to people. And I think in a game like this, the team that plays relaxed will have an opportunity. And I think the reason why the Georgia team came back against Oklahoma is because this guy doesn't have a panic button. One of the things I've been listening a lot to Lane Kiffin, man. Lane Kiffin is must. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna get him on our show, man. He's kind of cat oh, great. Do our show. I love. I've been. Li- I, I've been. I've been listening to him. And Elaine, if you're listening, if somebody gets this out there, please let them know. We love to have them on on our show. Um, but what I what I love about Lane has a really good perspective. One thing about Lane, a generation coach, means he's coming a different perspective and putting up. But he's also had a chance to be around a number of great coaches because of his father and everything else. And he, and he coached for some great coaches, so he's had to see people compete at the highest level but take different approaches uh, to, to, to winning. And he talked a lot about Pete Carroll, because one of the guys asked him, like, what, and there, I think it, was, it might have been Dan Levitar was talking to him. And he was like, you know, what was it like to walk in to, to be in Alabama? And 
And one thing Lane said, he's like, when, when you walk through, look at the pictures of the, the champ, national championships. You know, look at the coaches. None of them are smiling. And it's like you have to have to environment. You're scared. But he said, when I was at USC, you know, Pete Carroll made you want to be in the, in the weight room. He's musical. He made you want to be in practice. He made you want to be part of it. And I think when I when I look at Kirby Smart, even though he spent all those years with Nick Saban, I think he has a want to environment. The energy of his kids. You watch his his personality. And I think this might be the first coach that that Saban faced in a long time. Not only because this guy might know him, but has the same kind of approach and IQ to the game, but it has this ability to not scare his players into the moment, but get his players to want to be in the moment. And the fact that these two young men, Michelle and Chubb, who could have just left, they you know, they had really built a long relationship with this guy, stayed to try to see if they could win it, said a lot about the early impact he had on them. And the way those two guys run the football, I think they give them a real good advantage here in this game tomorrow. I think it's going to be a close one, one of those, you know, uh, 17 type of games, 21, 14. Um, I actually think from as a freshman, as the capability of making more plays than Hurst. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think I, I think Hurst has the ability to grow into it. But I think because of the way that they coach at Alabama, he doesn't play free. I think this mm-hmm. is a kid that has a lot of talent. He's a coach's son. But he does he plays with scared money. I look at this guy Hurst, man, I'm like, he's smart. Everybody's been around him. We talked to Lane Kiffin. Kiffin's like this guy remembers things quickly, he knows all this stuff. But they play with scared money. If if Clemson had had Deshaun instead of Kelly, that would have been a blowout. And part of it was I knew Kelly. I watched him all year, and I was like, Kelly ain't ready for prime time. He made some plays, but I was like, I'm going to watch this kid all year. He ain't ready for Alabama. But from, they've been building him up, getting him ready. And when you when you saw Unleashed was in this bowl game against Oklahoma where he needed to make a play. I just think that this is a kid that's going to grow. I think if Hurst could play loose, this could be a – Alabama could roll this game. But I don't know if they're going to let him play loose. And I think that that is where Saban is champion championships. He is. That's why I say he's a he's a lot, he's a lot like our, our Pistons coach, <laughs> who likes to coach every possession down the floor. Great coach, likes to coach every possession, control everything. And in games like this, you got to be free in the moment. In games like this, you got to make a play. And I think his defense plays like that. I think he allows his defense that kind of freedom. I don't think he allows his offense that freedom. Whereas I think when I look over at, at Georgia, the difference between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban over time is that Kirby has an authenticity to him that allows his players to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be interesting to see how that play out tomorrow. And not just tomorrow, but how it's going to play out over time. I mean, I watched this guy, Kirby Smart. I mean, he is – he's already whooping people in the recruiting. And when you can be at a place like Georgia with a guy like Kirby Smart, you always going to get good recruits. 
And it's the one place that can challenge Alabama on a regular basis. It's got its own talent, its own backyard. It's got access to, you know, South Carolina. It's got access to Florida. It's got all that stuff. And when you got like Kirby Smart, when you look at the two coaches, both these coaches going to get you to the league. But one guy just a little easier to play for. You see what I'm saying? You know, you look at both these teams, you know both of these are pathway to the league. But one guy just a little bit more personable, a little bit more grits and greens and gravy. And I think that might be the difference. And I, I think the other thing, I think Georgia just got the better linebackers. They, you know, they got they got they got the Buckets Award winner. They got they got they got with the, with the entry to the uh, most recent linebacker in Alabama. You know, they they've got I think the 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 the, the little better linebackers. But you know, having said that, you know that's like talking. This, we're talking about like two wood level coaches in football, right? We're talking like, we're talking about we're, we're splitting hairs. But both these teams are going to be playing a high-level game tomorrow. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I got a feel for some reason I got a feeling that Georgia, after coming back against Oklahoma, you think there's a relief to getting to the championship that's going to let you just play at the crib. Mm-hmm. That's going to allow them to just be looser. That's my thing right now. But we'll see. You and I are going to have a lot of time to talk about this. You listen to Real Sports Guys, One Mike. You know, we're here with me and Hank. We just, you know, it's 2018. You know, we 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 getting it, we getting it in. We're having a good time right now. We're feeling feeling really good about it. And uh, we're going to just take a short break here, come back, and then we'll get into the cipher. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. And is Andy Reid is he getting the pass? Is he getting the pass? We've got to figure this out here on RSG One Mike. Right about now, you're about to be possessed of the sounds of MC Rock and DJ Easy Fuck you, Tom. 
reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the real sports guys. Whoopig. Shout out to DJ Slick. Thank you again for that musical interlude. You always got to pay homage to Brett Bielema, even though he's not with the Razorbacks anymore. We just got to throw that love. Had a chance to watch him on the uh, coach's version um, during the semifinal game. He was actually, I love that coach's um, uh, session that they do uh, uh, for the games and everything else. And then my man, you know, underground up there, killing me, Marcus, reclaiming his time. You got to tell you how much he'll be at the NL, NFL season. And my man, Cam Newton, I'm bringing him back. He's he trying to kind of have some heroics here in New Orleans. Uh, do what you do. If he does, we're about to see the, we're about to see the Superman cape uh, go, uh, go, go off on him. But it's playoff time. The playoffs, the playoffs is going <laughs> crazy. And we already got some craziness going on. And so, Arrowhead Stadium, we have Andy Reid, who everybody touts, and nobody ever said anything bad about it. Phil T. got mad at me because how critical I was of him when he was in Philadelphia. I felt like he, in some I ain't gonna say sabotage Don McNabb, but really expose Don McNabb because this is a former offensive lineman who hates to run the football. He had great running backs in Philly and would never run, and had Donovan throwing all the time. And then he gets out to he gets out to, to Kansas City, and and then he rediscovers a running game. Uh, and then yesterday he goes back to his Philly lifestyle. He's got one of the most dynamic running backs. In the game, we look at statistics when he rushes uh, a certain number of yards and a certain number of carries, they win. They up at halftime. People say, well, Travis Kelsey got hurt. No, they were up. They were up. In Arrowhead with a team who can't score points. Marcus Mariota and them have just been terrible in the Titans, and he loses at the end. When are people going to start saying something about Andy Reid. If I don't want to hear all these grades, all this, all that, I can't hear it anymore. People want to jump all over Tomlin and talk about this. Tomlin only loses to the greatest coach ever <laughs> on the stage and the greatest quarterback ever. You know, it's not like he's going down to 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 boo-boo the fool. He's got a, he's got a Super Bowl title. He's got appearances. Yet, we find ways to justify Andy Reid. They talk about Andy Reid like he got three Super Bowls. And I was, it was so good to hear a couple of the, the players who are commentators out there, because you know none of the coaches want to say it, finally come out and say, hey, come on now. Come on. I know NBC, Rodney was saying that. Come on, man. Andy, you messed up. Somebody needs to be looking at him. I'm tired of this. Uh, Jeff Fisher, we okay with you being 79, but then we want to be criticized. We're going to get Will to Caldwell in Detroit, but but we okay with this. Uh, even we talk about Marv Lewis down in Cincinnati. We let him we, we let him stay for 15 years, no playoff wins. What is the equity in all of this? But Andy Reid, I believe, skates. 
And then he can sit at the podium like he doesn't really want to answer the questions. I've, I've seen enough. And then in Tinseltown, the Rams had a great run. I know they had a great run because they helped me win my fantasy football championship. <laughs> so I love the Rams. Uh, McFay is doing an incredible job. And then they goes up against Matt Ryan, a team that gave up all those points. Being in the league in the Super Bowl, the, the biggest crash ever. And they get off the mat in L.A. against a tough, really Rams team. Get the victory in the only way to Philly. A lot of stuff going on. We got Jacksonville holding home serves uh, and, and doing their thing. It looks like New Orleans is going to hold home serve. So the stage is set for the week. But, Hank, man, NFL football is here, man. But, I mean, what's your opinion on Andy Reid? Let's start there. I, I laid a whole bunch of stuff out there. I just threw it out. I had to – Phil T would tell you that there's very few coaches that touch my button. And, I, and the thing about it, I think he's a nice guy. But I think, man, how he got the job in Philly, remember that. He's got the job right. out of nowhere. How he kept the job. He, he did a great job in Philly. How he never took the blame. Donovan took all the blame. This guy never watched football. I was. I remember. I've, I've been there playoff games in person and watched it. And this guy just seen people just seen to just let him go. What you What you think about? It is what you got. It is what you got. Okay. First of all, you you hit on some some amazing topics. Okay. And I'm going to get to Andy Reid, but you brought up Marvin Lewis. You brought up Jim Caldwell. But you didn't say nothing about Hugh Jackson, who happens to keep his job, too. Now, hell, that's allowed is anybody's guess. But, see, what he did was he didn't just lower the bar with that, keep keeping his job. They buried it, you know, so that don't even make any sense. You know, I mean, you won in 31 but you got, but 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 you, but but you got job security. I don't know. He must have some nasty pictures on somebody out there in Cleveland. I don't know how that happened. But I had to bring that up. And Marvin Lewis, the same thing. But see, here's the thing about Andy Reid that drives people nuts. Okay, Andy Reid still probably one of the very few West Coast offense coaches out there that's still coaching today in the NFL. And this kills him right now because you talked about Donovan McNabb, and then they had they had uh, Westbrook, I believe, as a running back when he was there. Yes. And, and then you got then you got this young rookie that's just clowning everybody. You got the lead, and you got uh, Tennessee down and out. Okay, the referees make a horrendous call on the sack, which Tennessee probably doesn't gain any momentum on a field goal if it's called properly. And they need to look at that. That was a ter- that was a terrible, terrible call. But that being said, uh, and, and, and the tight end gets hurt, but you run the football. Now, there's now everybody wants to talk about what Andy Reid did uh, in the play calling. But what happened to the defense, dog? All of a sudden, Travis Henry looked like he did in his Heisman Trophy season. Marcus Mariota, you know, makes a touchdown pass to himself. You know, it was some crazy stuff that was going on in that game that kept Tennessee in it. 
and and the fact that they they couldn't stop the run at all when they knew it was coming. You know, you make Mariota beat you in that in that case. Not 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 Henry. Here's Henry uh, runs the ball. You know, down the stretch. You at home. You know he's getting the rock. Everybody knows he's getting the rock, and yet he's able to run for 14 yards, get a first down after a block from Mariota, and put that game away. And see, here's the thing about Andy Reid, because Andy Reid hasn't won a playoff game in seven years. So you have to ask yourself, if you're the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, what are you looking for? Is this okay? Because you won a division, you pretty much win a division every other year. You're in the playoffs now, but you can't win once you get there. And what's worse, by the way, you're at home. I heard the boos yesterday if you watched that game. I heard the boos when that game was over. But you have to ask yourself if you are – and I get what you're saying, but but this is what we've seen, and this is and, and and coaches who know what they're doing know how to coach against Andy Reid. They know that if you if you just make that quarterback beat you, because all he wants to do is dink and dunk, because that's the way West Coast offenses work. Okay, then you can uh, slow the game down, keep time on the clock, and give yourself a chance to come back to the game, come back in the game. That's exactly what we saw yesterday. That's exactly what we saw yesterday. When they got that fluke touchdown, now all of a sudden it's 21 to 10. Now all of a sudden it's a ball game. When if you're Kansas City, you keep doing what you need to do. You run the football, you shorten the ball game, and you get out of there with your victory. I don't understand coaches throwing the ball when you don't have to, you know, but he's still throwing the ball on first down, dinking and dunking, and they're waiting on it. And, 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 and that's why they say, well, teams don't give up, teams don't give up. When it gets to the playoffs, you watch what teams' tendencies are. And teams usually don't don't waver too much away from their tendencies. And this is what kills Andy Reid in Kansas City every year. But to look at the NFL right now, like you say, everybody pretty much held serve. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in the Rams. I mean, I know that this was their first playoff appearance in a long time, and they looked like that team. I mean, their special, their, their special teams, uh, their uh, specialists, uh, kept on fumbling the football. They just it seemed like they couldn't get out of their own way. And then you got a team, a veteran team like Atlanta, that that's got a somewhat of a chip on their shoulders. But I don't think Atlanta scares people like they did last year. Are they a scary team? Sure they are. And quite frankly, the uh, playoffs sets up well for them this year. They go against, a, they went against a young Rams team. Now they're going to go against a Philadelphia team that doesn't have their quarterback. Okay, so that sets up well for Atlanta to get back to the championship game. But on the other side of that bracket now, okay, that's going to be fun to watch. All right, when you got Minnesota and New Orleans, right? So, so uh, what's that going to look like? And and is this Minnesota team for real? This Case Keenum for real? You know, that's what we're looking at over there. Then on the on the AFC side, I think you just kind of sitting back on your hands. And you're pretty much waiting for Pittsburgh and, and New England to get it on. All right. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, all jokes aside, but Tennessee and Jacksonville don't excite me. All right. I think that was a great run for both of them teams and both of those fan bases. But let's get real here. All right. We want to see uh, Pittsburgh and, 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 and New England get it on. And, and what we haven't talked about yet on this show is that little bit of uh, – rift that's going on between Belichick, Brady, and, and, and Kraft, you know, that they were talking about the Garoppolo, uh, that, that uh, Belichick didn't want to get him traded, but he kind of got undermined by Brady. 
but I'm saying that this is what we want to see. This is what we came to. This is what we we buy our popcorn for, you know. So let's get to getting on that. Okay, and we'll get to those points because you had some really good points. And I think you know this is the thing about it. Think about this. They score fourteen. NC scores fourteen in the first quarter. Seven in the second quarter. They don't scare anything. People say, well, Travis Kelsey isn't there. But think about this. Tennessee was down 21 points, and Derrick Henry had 23 carries. Yeah. Averaging 100, he had 156 yards, yards per carry. Marcus Mariota had eight carries for 46 yards, averaging 5.8 now per carry. Let's touch that against, uh, pose that against what we saw with Kansas City. They got one of the top running backs in the league, Kareem Hunt. Had a total of eleven carries. Yeah, that's unacceptable. They had, as a team, they had fifteen carries. If you include four by Alex Smith, at least you know, at least three of those were scrambling and running for his life. And Tariq Hill had one. That was probably a jet sweep. So they had fifteen rush attempts, up twenty-one nothing. You know, that and alone. Kareem Hunt. I think that Kareem alone Hunt should get you. I look at your sideways. He probably you had know? five or Yeah, he had like probably six or seven in the first half. So, that right there, that is. That, that's. That's. That's criminal behavior. I mean, <laughs> you might have some people. In, you, have, you might have some people in Kansas City. That's negligence of any way. You might have people in Kansas City who might. Mess around and sue, simple suit on that. First time you ever get sued for your game. But D, just answer me this. This is what I need to know. That vaunted defense. How are you allowing Derrick Henry to lose his mind in the second half? And you know he's running. You know he's getting the rock. Everybody and their mama know he's getting the rock. How is he allowed to? to how is he allowed to run in the second half? What are you doing on the defense? You cannot stop this run. You know he's coming. Well, they had one was uh, they had so it started with, with the you had the you had the fumble put him in short field, right? And so they had a couple situations that ended up being short field where he broke some. I agree, but the defense is probably a lot like. Michigan defense was, or Wisconsin defense was at times, thinking, wow, we got we to win this. <laughs> like, we got to win this. And you're right, the defense should have stepped up. But part of good defense is good offense, too. Right? And so, right. if you three and out me, now I'm getting tired. So, they, so, so what you have to, you have to just uh, really commend Malarkey and them for staking with the game plan. Because think about it. They got all these three and outs, and with the three and outs, then they just pounded and they went to the body. They stay, it's like a patient boxer who got knocked down in the first round, and so he's down on the card, but he sticks with the game plan. He goes to the body, breaks you down, and he wins up, ends up winning a, a late TKO, you know, in the, in, the, in the 11th round, right, because he stayed with the game plan and he didn't panic. And so what ends up happening is they kept doing three and outs, and then the defense kept getting back on, and so they basically worn out. They kept going to the body. And so I think yeah. that was part of the issue because because uh, Kansas City wasn't committing to the run and get the ball to Kareem Hunt to move the chains. So after a while, you just get worn down with some big body, uh, the wind and all those cats. 
uh, laying on you. So I think that's where I think that's what happened to the Kansas City defense. As far as um, the Rams, I thought they played well, but I think again, I think it was another level for golf to go to as a young quarterback. And Matt Ryan went to that level, and um, you know I think you know that defense played amazing. I think I, that was a great game, well played game. But the difference is, you know, you got a veteran quarterback who make a few more plays, and you know I think it comes down to that. And they had some costly turnovers. Uh, Cooper with the fumble, and everything else like that. Some things they just weren't doing, you know, during the regular season. But you know, this is a team you, you can see that's built the right way. You know, as far as you said. You know about Minnesota, and you know, you know that week off, and are they ready? I mean, right now, you know, you look at it right now, New Orleans is lathered up. They, they got, they got, they got a team that can travel. They defense can travel, and that running right. game travels. And so, you know, I think this is going to be, it, and you got an elite quarterback. So this is going to be interesting. And this is one of those classic games where you know, Minnesota dominant all whatever, but they just ran into. They might, they might run into a buzzsaw called New Orleans. And so that's going to be interesting to see how that all happens um, well, when you get into your first big fight right now. And like you said, on the AFC side, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, Jaguars went up there. I remember listening to that game, man, and Jaguars physically beat up Pittsburgh. You know, I'm a Steelers fan. So they got to bring it. You know, you got you got to bring it because these, these young boys coming. They bring it. They bring in their lunch pail, and they coming. The thing that the Steelers got that they – didn't have as well back then is that their defense right now is playing at a, a, a is going to be playing at a league level, and so they're going to be mm-hmm. getting after Bortles. And and again, but they're going to stick to that running game. They got to get on because uh, Fournette was running that ball, so they got they got to really make him pay. Um, and um, and you, you know you got to hope you you got you got to hope that uh, you know Le'Veon can have a big game catching out the backfield and doing some things. If they got to chip away, and, you know slowly chip away on these cats because they don't give you anything. And so that's going to be a battle. But I think that's the kind of battle Steelers need if they're going to win to then go to, to New England. So they'll be lathered up by the time they go to New England and ready for that. And I think, you know, playing Jacksonville will be good. New England playing against the Titans is going to be interesting because the Titans, they, it's just going to be like we're going to the body, we're going haymakers. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, and with this, with this love triangle that I told you about, we put on a rundown because we don't want to talk about that. It's crazy because they have all this stuff come out and they basically like, we all good. Right. <laughs> but you can tell right. they ain't good. Right. It's the first trick in the armor. And so you got, you got, you got the, you got the triangle, the love triangle. And what you got is the prince, or 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 the um, the soon to be prince has gone to the king and the king has said we going we gonna knight you we gonna give you what you need and you know is 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 is, is real lieutenant general is like we can't do it we gotta let him go and he like no we gotta keep the prince and this is the first time New England every. Because what people forget is that what makes New England New England at the end of the day are those three. The one thing that makes New England so much different than every other organization is that you have alignment. There's no crack in the armor historically, even though they probably argued it all they did between the quarterback and the owner. <laughs> right? There is synergy. There's been synergy 
And if you ain't aligned with all of them, you out. And this is the, you know, and they've had this stuff over the years, like all people have in families. You can't be together that long and not, and not have your argument. But this was, everybody can get Belichick, including Brady. But what he didn't understand is that this cat got the keys. As Khaled would say, he got the keys. Right. And he thought he had the keys. And so, I don't know how when you look at that man, what was your what was your thoughts when all that came out? And then they came out with the joint letter, which was funny. I said, "This how Trumpian of you." Well, you know what? <laughs> how Trumpian of you? <laughs> well, you know, listen. We know that everybody in New England are super geniuses, right? So hey, uh, <laughs> so so we 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 know what's going on there. But look, uh, I think that there was a little bit of dissension in the ranks, and you know, you have some. Uh, a sports uh, talk show host here in in uh, Michigan claiming that uh, that that uh, Belichick himself leaked that 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 news story, okay? And then they all came out together to say we're all good. But let's look at this a little bit deeper now, okay? Just that story, but what goes beyond that? You know, this could be the last hurrah for this New England Patriots team, okay? Because it looks like that their 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 coaching staff, especially their offensive and their defensive coordinator, is about to be poached for head coaching jobs. In fact, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, has been tabbed as the Detroit Lions' next head coach, and what's his name, McDaniel, uh, I think, is also being tabbed for a head coaching position. So that bug kills it. All right. Then you've got a 40-year-old Tom Brady. And I talked about this a little bit last year, but uh, you go back to back, okay, to the Super Bowl. That means that, let's face it, now that means that in your entire career, your Belichick, your Brady, you've played more NFL games than any other player in the league, okay, with all of the playoffs and all of the Super Bowls that you played in. How much further do you want to go? So you are you gonna if you're gonna retire a Patriot, but Garoppolo is out here doing work, then they may try to Eli Manning you next year. You know, let's see what he can do. And Tom is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going out like that, okay? We're going to get rid of him. And, uh, and and Belichick is like looking at the next Tom Brady. I don't blame him, you know. But I think that if, if things are getting broke up and, and this ain't going to be the same team that's going to be capable of making that run, uh, it might just be enough to to – have teams look elsewhere. You know, the Giants is looking for a new head coach. You know, you got some teams out there that's got some cachet that's looking for head coaches. Indianapolis is looking for a head coach. The Bears is looking for a head coach. Not that I expect Belichick to look at those two, but New York is very intriguing. So I think that something like that coming out, it had to come out from inside, right? And then they all said we're all good. I think that might motivate the team to try to make one more final run. But after that, how do you go forward? I don't see how they do. Well, and this is the thing about it. Everybody makes it about Brady and Belichick. And I think this is really about Belichick and the owner. You know, and, right. and when you think about this, Kraft is, as much as you can love Brady, you are a businessman of a billion-dollar business that right. is has a high trajectory. Like you are, you are, you are successful because you build sustainable businesses. So, what about this 
plan that Belichick had, couldn't you have liked? Because he was trying to set you up post him. Like, how many coaches take the time to say, hey, this is how we can be set up even after I leave? And then you still look and say no. Like, you don't get that luxury. You know, you can't, you're not as fortunate, and we'll get to this, as the Raiders uh, are being to get a, another chance with Gruden to help you make this major move to Vegas and, you know, probably add a billion dollars worth of value to what you, your move is going to be because he's going to be the head coach and he's willing to be on that ride with you. Yeah, you put the money in his pocket, but you don't really have those kind of relationships all the time, particularly in football and coaching. And he was trying to set you up post his coach. He, he was trying to set you up post him and he was being a, you know, you could say he was being selfish or unselfish. He's trying to set you up post both of them. Right. By all accounts. And, but then, and you still said no as a business person. So, like, to me, that's why I said it's the love story because the love story makes you make illogical decisions because in no other aspect of Kraft's life would he have made the same decision, knowing what he knew. But you also got to look at it like this, D, okay, that – See, Bob Kraft, it, it, he, it, it, he, he's made. It, he's got it made, okay? And we don't know. We don't know. Maybe if, if he thinks about selling this franchise, which I doubt he is, but if he is, and getting out of the NFL, what can he get for the New England Patriots right now with a Tom Brady? Or if Tom Brady came to him and he loves Tom Brady like his own son, Okay, and that um, uh, Belichick is just the curmudgeon that he always is. I get what you're saying, but I think that for Brady, this looks bad. For Brady, this looks kind of snot nosed. And I'm a Michigan fan, and I get all that. He's greatest of all time. Yeah, but yeah, he yeah. Looks- he he, yeah, he, 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 he been looking look kind of salty. You know me, I've been on. He been looking kind of salty for the past couple of years. Some, some yeah, crazy looked, this looks kind of snot nosed to me. Yeah, you know, go run it to the owner. And said, "Okay, we'll take care of it because that could bite that New England Patriots in the butt. If Garoppolo turns out to be what Belichick thought he is and what he's shown what he is now in San Francisco, that's going to be huge. Because look, it, Tom Brady has had a, a, a phenomenal career, a phenomenal career. We won't, we can't. There's nothing to argue about. But the man's 40 years old. He can't play forever." He can't play forever, and you like you're right. When you start talking about this being a business decision, it's not. If you are in the business of winning Super Bowls, and your heir apparent is already on your roster, think about uh, Steve. Um, uh, Steve Young. Uh, he's there, Steve Young. Yeah, well, thank Steve, you. Yeah. Steve Young. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's your heir apparent. He's there. Okay, San Francisco made the very difficult move of moving Joe Montana so they could so they could continue to win Super Bowls. They knew that the and time maybe was that's up. the issue. Maybe because Brady grew up watching that. Right? Brady yeah. grew up Montana fan. Brady had to probably go to bed crying when they said Montana away. You know, uh and, and Young came up. He saw it. He's like, Oh, it ain't gonna happen to me like my hero. We killing you before you get grown. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he 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 came out. He came out with he got Brother Muzan called over. You 
you know, that scene, that scene uh, when, when Brother Muzan comes through, you know, uh, uh, along, and they take care of business, you know, he's like, we can't, we can't, we can't do it. We can't do it like that. You're going to have to, you're going to have to go out. We can't, we can't let you grow up and be too strong with this one. We're going right. to go get these coins. You're about to go to the vacant. So he was like, I'm going to kill you while you're young. And that's because he saw he, he grew up watching that legacy, right? He watched that legacy unfold, and then watched Montana go to Kansas City and still have two couple uh, some couple good decent years, right? right. You know, while yeah. while Steve Young was taking over his Forty ers so that could influence his decision about you know it's me or you. I'm still winning, right? And You're absolutely that, right. But how's that going to play out? How's that going to play out if they if if he leaves? That franchise goes into the toilet, and the 49ers are on the rise. Does he start looking like your boy Jeter? Exactly, exactly. You start, like I said, it looks really snot-nosed because you want yeah. – because your legacy is made. Okay, your legacy is made. And what New England could have done is what Denver failed to do. Denver failed That's to right. replace uh, Peyton Manning, all right? And they failed to replace uh, John Elway. All right, New England had tried, to, and Belichick has seen that. All right, so now you had your heir apparent. Now he's in San Francisco. So Bob Kraft, guess what? You're gonna have to pay for that one, boss. So y'all better win it this year because it's gonna get real nasty after this year. You and your coaching staff, have your coaching staff gonna be coaching other teams, and they're gonna be teaching those teams the Patriot way. Meanwhile, you got an aging quarterback and an aging coach. Good luck with that. Well, and the crazy thing about it is, he gave Shanahan like the brother-in-law deal. He gave like second round for like he's like, okay, I'm a I'm a really send a shot across the bar because that wasn't a Belichickian move. He sent you a second round for him when he had better he had better opportunities. In Cleveland, but he didn't want to steal him to Cleveland, right? But right. The real so that that's also a slight Belichick. Like usually, you, it's crazy because I think Belichick's relationship with Garoppolo, which I didn't really think about that, is the same as the way you almost see Kraft and Brady, and maybe that's what Brady saw. Brady saw. So this is really your boy. You you know what I'm saying? Like, right. you really care for this dude, right? Like, you like, forget me. Forget me and all the Super Bowls I brought you. I mean, because he, you know, Belichick, since when would Belichick care about what he's going to see if, you got, if he got a, a lot of stuff back? And if he's going to get a lot of stuff back, he could fleece Cleveland, but he wasn't going to send this guy because it was a bad opportunity to go to? That, that, that's a break in the move right there. That's a break yeah. in the move. You know, it's all over the place. That's when the emotions get in. When the emotions run from the internal, right? That's right. People can talk about a lot, but when they run from the internal, it gets crazy like that, man. So, yeah, we, we got we to gotta watch this saga, like you said, you know, and, and, and mess around and lie, let them win the Super Bowl. Ooh. It's really going to get hot. Well, it's again, really gonna that's get what I'm going to see. If they win the Super Bowl or if they get there. Uh, it it is the la- I, at that point I'm, I'm looking forward to be the last hurrah. If it's not already, we hit a couple of things with the uh, 
the Jags. I, I did want to hear something about the Jags, but I do want to before because we're, we're getting near the end of the podcast, uh, and I want to hear something quick on the NBA with you. Um, the hundred million dollar man returns to Raider Nation. Gruden going home. I'm going home. I'm going home. A hundred mil. I'm going home. Woodson was so dang happy. I thought he was on uh, uh, all down his legs on the show, <laughs> talking to Bruce <laughs> like he wants to hug him up, you know. Uh, but and this is this. If I had to say anywhere Gruden going, I'm happy he's going here. This is the way Gruden should get back into football. I think this is good for the NFL. It's good for Oakland now, soon to be the LA Raiders. You heard Gruden was going back to the Raiders. What were you thinking, man? To get chilled. You know what? You know what? <laughs> this this kills me a little bit, okay? Groot has been out of the game a long time, okay? Uh, we, we he was the last Groot sighting was when he was hoisting the trophy with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, okay? They're one and only Super Bowl championship, okay? What gets me, D, is you get these guys. They're able to armchair quarterback the game, just like you and I. He's been in the game, so he sounds real good at it, all right? But you know what it's like when you get back out on that field, okay? Now you got to start game planning. Now you got to start uh, scheming. Now you got to figure out what you're going to do here, what you're going to do there. It's not as plush as, you know, leaving the studio, going and having you a steak dinner with your wife and then talking about what y'all just did and get up in the morning and do show prep, all right? I'm getting back into the grind. I'm getting back into the NFL. I got questions about that. Yeah, you going and doing quarterback camp with these college players is good and all, and it's entertaining theater, but, dude, you ain't been out there coaching. You know, y'all sitting around here talking about Andy Reid. Y'all talking about making this move. Y'all talking about making that move. Hey, now you're getting back into it. It sounds fabulous. It sounds like a match made. But how much is Gruden going to be ready to go? That's going to be a really big deal. It's going to be a really big. It's going to be fun to watch if he can if he can get it together. I thought Jack Del Rio uh, got the short end of the stick. Actually, I don't think Carl was ready this year. Um, I don't think that they used Beast Mode as well as they should have. Okay, uh, that team did not have a good year, so I guess he had to go. But they may have had Gruden already ready to go there. So. But it's going to be interesting to see somebody who's out the game that long going to come back, get in the grind, and all of a sudden yeah, he got his money now. How motivated is he going to be to win? Because, you know, it's just like the Matt Millen becoming the GM of Detroit. I can, I could take your money and run and leave you at 0-16. Yeah, and I think he's going to be successful. I think part of it is, I mean, I think he'll get a lot out of Derek Carr. Um, you know, he'll get a good person on that defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I think he'll get back in. I do Del Rio got the short end of the stick. You know, in some ways I'm thinking, man, the Lions probably should have drafted Del Rio. Um, if, even the Bears might be because this guy is legitimately a good coach. I mean, I, think he, I thought he did yeah. a solid job in, in Jacksonville. I mean, this, he's, really, he's proven, you know, that he can, he can build a program. And uh, he just needs to get to a place like, you know, Detroit or – Buffalo or someplace like that that will let him just get the program right. 
Um, you know, in some ways, if you're Cleveland, you're thinking, wow, you know, maybe we should let you go, you know, because I think he'd be perfect for Cleveland with them young defensive players they got, getting the running game going and everything else. So um, you're right. I, I, I think he's going to be successful. I think he's picked up a lot, you know, in a way. And I think, you know, there's certain people like Gruden who get real high strong. I think what he's learned from being away. I think what Dick Vermeil learned from being away is tempo. Going to have a little bit more patience around how he lets things grow. And I think because, kind of like Herm, I think Herm's going to be interesting over at Arizona State, is that because they spent, they spent a lot of time around these college kids, that in some ways he spent more time around these college kids sometimes than that these actual coaches coaching in the NFL. And he has a really good understanding of some of these, how these kids are coming into the game in a way that, other coaches might not understand and, and probably have thought about ways in which he's going to onboard these young kids, given the experiences that he's had a chance to spend a unique set of time with these kids in ways that most coaches don't have a chance to spend time with them, you know, prior to ending up officially on the team. And so, um, you know, I think, I, I think he's going to do it. I think it's a good match. I, I couldn't see him going anywhere else, but this, I couldn't see him doing college football for all the things you just said. Um, but I think there's something unique about him and the Raiders that will keep him on edge. I think it's an organization that matches his DNA. And I think his relationship with, um, with especially now that Al is gone, you know, uh, in a way, his, the way he can come back into the organization with the front office people that he knew from Green Bay who were there, you know, some of those guys there that, that, that he's familiar with. I think they're going to have a good game plan, particularly going into Vegas. So it's going to be interesting um, in in a division that's going to turn it over. You got you got some you got you don't know what's going to happen in Kansas City. Um, you got you, you don't know how long uh, you're going to have you know uh, Rivers as quarterback for the Chargers. As soon as they're going to be going through a transition, so timing wise up in that division with 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 the quarterback he has, you know he could get on top and stay there for a little while. Timing's perfect. All right. So we got a couple things here before we get down just quickly. Um, NBA, your quick hot take, and then I'll let you just have that that final mic. You know, we we want to hear a little bit of that. Give us a teaser about your thoughts on the NBA that we'll probably hit on our next podcast that you think we should be hitting. Well, you know what? I think that so far in the NBA um, – you got teams holding serve, you know. I, I think I think that it's, it's just kind of fun that some of the movement we kind of talked about it earlier when the season got started. It's starting to come to fruition, you know. We're starting to see Houston try to sh- try to flex their wings, and you know, flex their muscle a little bit. Then you got the the old favorites, Golden State and Cleveland. Listen, I want to see somebody really step up this year. I want to see a third, maybe a fourth team really push these guys. You know, really make the playoffs something worthwhile watching. Um, I, that's what I want to see, D. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. It's like I thought I thought Christmas Day was very entertaining. That's something the NBA needs to try to expand upon if they can. Uh, just have just whole days like that where, the, where you know, a casual fan can just watch basketball and see what the league is offering. So, you know, that is what I'm looking for and what we can talk about a little bit later. What I want to talk about real quick, folks, going into the last 30 seconds of the show is we are seven days 
into the new year. All right, seven whole days. And so we got a whole lot that's going on, a whole lot that's going to go on in this year. But I want to leave you with a little bit of something, okay? Because we got things going on in the White House. We got things going on all over the world. But I just want to leave you with something. I don't want to preach to nobody. But I want us to go into this new year and show a little bit of love to one another, okay, all across this world. There's some scripture out there that says love is patient, love is kind, love is never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude, or selfish, or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth, but it's not an evil. Love is always supportive. Love is hopeful, trusting, and love that never fails. And so going into this new year, folks, I want us to keep those truths to be self-evident. So y'all have a good one, and we'll talk to you the next time.